Amen, amen. Good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing? Awesome. It's great to be together, is it not? And uh, we love being together. And my name is Dan Hammer. I'm the privilege of being a senior pastor here. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, we'd love to do that after service. And whether this is your first time here or you've been here a long, long uh, time, your family here, or maybe you were here a while ago and you came back today like somebody in the house, which is awesome. Um, it's just great to have you guys uh, together uh, today. God is at work in a big way. We're going to continue uh, the Heart of the Matter series in 1 Samuel. So if you want to get a head start there, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapters 9 through 12. Um, and so excited about that. But if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have one for you in the back. We would love for you to have a Bible, and that's our gift to you. Um, or you can open up your phone or get out an app or, or whatever way you would have to get into God's Word. And um, we love uh, God, we love worship, and we worship in a variety of ways here at Harvest. We worship through the Word, we worship through singing, we worship through giving. And uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness. We're going to talk a lot about God's faithfulness, and we are going to lift that up today. And I just want to say thank you for God's faithfulness here and through you, and thank you for your faithful giving. But I want to encourage you to help us finish the month of May strong. And so there's an opportunity to do that financially, um, whether you give online or give in the back um, with a box. And if this is your first time here, don't feel compelled to give. Your presence is just a gift in and of itself. But if you call Harvest your church home, we would encourage you um, to give and give generously as the Lord has given to us. At the end of the service, we're going to continue to talk about God's faithfulness as we have a brief family chat to, uh, to share some uh, news about what God is doing in the life of our church and look forward uh, to that. And as we get going today, question for you guys. Anybody else as a kid growing up, or maybe you do now, that's awesome, read, well, I, choose your own adventure books. You'll see a picture on the screen here of what these might have. Anybody read? I did. I liked them growing up. You know what those are? Like, you read the book, and you're like, okay, you get to the end of chapter one, and it's like, Jimmy has a choice to make, right? If you, want to make, if, if you were Jimmy, and you want, or you want this choice to make for Jimmy, turn to page 45. If you want this other choice for Jimmy, turn to page 52, and then you continue on, right? And each, each decision has a series of consequences, and at least potentially to a different ending. Today we're going to see from the text of God's Word that really life is a choose-your-own-adventure novel, if you would, but it's real life. Now, the decisions that we make have consequences. It has impact, and it impacts where we will spend eternity. There are some variables in life we can't control like externally, right? We all walked in here with external variables, it really impacting our lives, right? Go to the grocery store, you're like, that was half price literally two days ago. What happened? You go to the gas pump or you go whatever, you name it. We can't control that, but what we can control is our internal heart setting on how we respond to that. And as we've seen in this entire series, what God wants most is your what? Heart. And when God gets that, everything else will fall into place. Your external circumstances might be falling around, down around you, but God will uphold you. It's an ongoing fight in our lives for the thrusts on the throne of our hearts. It's a war of worship, as we say. Today, we're going to talk about a fight for faithfulness that is evidenced in our obedience. Bottom line up front, here's the choose your own adventure for today that we're going to see in chapter 12 as we get there towards the end of today's message. But bottom line up front, here are two verses that are really going to anchor us and drive us so that Samuel tells the people of Israel when he gathers them all together, and he says, if you will fear the Lord, 1 Samuel 12, 14 and 15, and serve him and obey your, his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, hear obedience, it will be what? Well. 
But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord here, disobedience, then the hand of the Lord will what? Will be against you and your king. But I don't know about you. I don't want God's hand against me. But do you see the choice here? If you will do this, it will go well for you. But if you will not do this and you choose this direction, it will what? Not go well for you. So the question today before us, friends, is this. Are you choosing obedience or disobedience? Because if you wonder today why your life is not going well, well, God's word just might have told you why it's not going well, huh? And I'm not talking externally because there are factors we can't control. We'll follow the Lord. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a price to pay. We live in a fallen and a broken world. But none of what happens externally can control internally the peace that is available for us that Jesus paid the price and made for us. So the question today is, what's the choice you're going to make? To choose and revere the Lord, to obey Him, to follow Him, or to not? As Joshua said at the end of Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. It's an individual choice. I can't make it for you. As a church, collectively, we are going to strive to follow and obey the Lord. We will fall short, praise God for His grace, amen? But we will continue to pursue that with all of our hearts and lives. I can't make that choice for you, though. What are you going to choose? Some of you, your lives are not going well because you are continually choosing to disobey the Lord. And I love you enough not to say that. Nothing will change for you until that changes. It's decision day for all of us, and it will be decision day tomorrow and the next day and the next day, because these are choices we have to make on an everyday basis. It's not just a one-time decision. The daily fight for faithfulness. In every season, in every circumstance, in every situation, in every decision. Friends, it's, I don't know about you, but it's been a heavy week for me. It's been a heavy week for our country. Whether it was the disclosure of the reality of heinous and sinful sexual abuse that is rampant throughout the evangelical community. Whether it was another horrible and horrific shooting at, in Uvalde, Texas, on the heels of another heinous shooting in a grocery store in Buffalo, on the heels of dot, dot, dot. The ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine let alone just COVID and illness and all the things. It's a heavy week. And whatever you're walking through personally, but even the heaviness of this world does not and cannot and will not stop the faithfulness of our God, amen? We're going to see that in the text today. So while our world is broken, and it is, and my heart is broken, and it is, there still is hope today because the gospel says that Jesus enters into our brokenness and provides a way when there is no other way. That he heals broken things. So even in the heaviness, we can still rest in God's faithfulness, but resting in God's faithfulness never means not responding with biblical obedience with hearts set on dependence, as we will see today in the text. We're going to see in 1 Samuel 9 through 12 today, a nation that rejects God, but even when they reject God, God continues to pursue them because he's faithful, because his love is unconditional, 
And maybe you walk into this room and you have lived a life or a season or a day or a decade, I don't know, of rejecting God. God is pursuing you this morning and he wants you and he's made a way for you. He loves you. He is faithful. And his promises still hold true if you will repent and turn and choose to follow him. Here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen and in your notes. Wholehearted obedience is always the right response to God's enduring faithfulness. Wholehearted obedience is always the right response to God's enduring faithfulness. Every season, every situation, every circumstance, in the ups, the downs, the all-arounds, my question for you is, are you obeying God? And obedience to God flows out of a direct heart of reverence and submission to God. Obedience is the fruit of reverence. It's a worship issue. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray in these next few moments that you would open our hearts, that you would work. I need it. And I know my friends gathered here in person and online need it too. We need you. In every nook, in every cranny of our lives, as I have cried many tears this week at the brokenness of this world, God, praise you that your faithfulness endures. That you are quick to act. That you are continually merciful. That you pursue justice and you give grace. That you love. And you provide hope. God, forgive me for the many times in my life where I have not chosen obedience to you. And I pray that in these next few moments, God, that you would soften our hearts, quiet our souls, and speak. Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do, that you would encourage and exhort, convict and compel us. Praise you for the promise that it will go well for us if we choose obedience. Well, not in human terms, but eternal terms. The peace, the hope, the joy that we're all searching for today, the purpose can only be found in you, through you, by you, as we choose to live for you. God, you've given us many warnings about the reality of the consequences of choices we make when we choose to live our lives apart from you or in disobedience to you. Forgive us for foregoing those warnings far too often. But today, may we choose you, may we choose to repent, may we choose to be restored, may we choose righteousness as we pursue you. In your name we pray, amen. I pray that everything changes for you guys today. I pray that it changes for me too, but that comes with a choice that you individually need to make to pursue the Lord and prioritize the Lord and obey the Lord with everything. I pray that you'll make that choice today. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 9, because that choice will change everything for you, because the gospel changes everything for you. So we're not going to read every single verse. We love to go exegetically, expositorily through God's word. We're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through 1 Samuel. For time's sake, we're not going to read every verse, so I encourage you to, to read it on your own this week. When we last left the Israelites last week in chapter 8, they were blatantly rejecting and disobeying God and saying, we want our own king. They were replacing the eternal king with an earthly king. God warned them it would not go well for them. They chose to do it their way. Anyway, 
So today on the soap opera, again, of days of our lives, Israel, okay, we're going to see unlikely and self-proclaimed inadequate choice of an earthly king. We're going to see a seemingly insurmountable adversary, a constantly faithful God, and continual decisions by people individually and collectively of God about whether to wholeheartedly obey God. And frankly, those choices are all before us today. Will I reject God as king or not? We all walked into this room, and I might not know the details of your life, but I'm pretty confident to know that you are facing some what seems like insurmountable obstacles in your life. Maybe it's a relationship struggle. Maybe it's an uncertain future. Maybe it's a financial stress. Maybe it's an illness. I don't know what it is, but I'm guessing it feels insurmountable. We all have decisions to make. So the heart check questions that we're going to walk through today from the text of God's word is this, am I obeying God wholeheartedly in four different scenarios, in four different situations, because we know that what God's word already says, bottom line up front, that if we choose to obey and revere God, it will go well for us no matter what the obstacles are in front of us. Praise God. Amen. So the question that we need to heart check ourselves in is, am I wholeheartedly, honestly obeying? Get rid of the superficial. This isn't about getting a gold star in Sunday school. This is the reality check of, am I actually walking the walk, being a doer, not just a hearer of God's word? Am I being transformed, not just informed, in such a way that my my motives, my will, my actions, my words, how I spend my money, my time, my energy are anchored in and responding to and submissive under the word of God and the leadership of God, the Holy Spirit. So the first cart check question for us today is this. Am I obeying God wholeheartedly, one, when I feel inadequate? Trust me, there are things I'm facing in my life right now that I wholeheartedly feel inadequate in. Anybody else with me? Rhetorical question, right? And in our culture, sometimes we're like, I can't express the reality that I feel a little inadequacy because weakness is not a prominent thing in our culture, is it? But biblically speaking, weakness is where it's at, friends. Because when I'm weak, then who's strong? God. It's not about us. We want to make much of the name of Jesus Christ here and every day. So here's a working thought, theory, definition, if you would, of biblical obedience to help set us, it's this, biblical obedience flows from a heart, it's all about the heart, of worship that is wholeheartedly focused on the gospel of God, anchoring in the promises of God, resting in the character of God, submitted under the preeminence and sovereignty of God, trusting the plan of God, pursuing the priorities of God, as it desires to become more like God and go and make disciples for God, for the glory of God. Wholehearted means every nook and cranny of my heart and my life. Every second of every day, I'm running through the funnel of, is this word I'm about to type or say honoring and obedient to God? Is this financial decision I'm about to make, is it honoring and obedient to God? Is this relationship that I'm in right now and the way that I'm treating it honoring and obedient to God? Everything is submissive to the word of God. That's wholehearted. Some of us are like, I'm doing okay. I'm about 50. God doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. God doesn't want just your church attendance. He doesn't just want your tithes. He wants your heart and he wants your life. Are you giving it to him? What are you holding back this morning? 
Chapter 9, we see this. Look with me at the verse, two verses of chapter 9. There was, a Benjamin, there was a man of Benjamin. Benjamin is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherah, the son of Aphith, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. And there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. So here we meet Saul, who is literally Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome. Like literally, the Bible says it. If there was a GQ Israel, Saul would be on the cover. He was successful from a good home, all the things. And now we encounter this story, as you read, if you, I would encourage you to read on your own later, but what happens is his dad loses some donkeys, and Saul goes on a hide-and-seek mission to find them. He takes a servant, and he goes searching for them. He can't find them anywhere. They get to this neighboring town. They're about to turn around, because Saul's like, my dad's probably worried about me, because we don't have cell phones. I can't call him and be like, I'm alive. They're about to turn back. They haven't found the donkeys, and Saul, Saul's servant in verse 6 says, hey, before we go back, we're in the city where there's a man of God. They call him a seer in the text. That means prophet. Seer then in the text doesn't mean what seer means now. It's a man of God. May we go inquire of the man of God where these donkeys are. Now, the fact that Saul didn't know that Samuel, who was a man of God, lived there probably gives us a status update on where Saul's relationship with God is. He is not exactly pursuing God wholeheartedly. He's probably the priester of his time. He might go to temple on Christmas and Easter, maybe. <laughs> he grew up in a religious home but he does not have an active relationship with the Lord. God can use anyone, though. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're finding your way back to the Lord today. Man, God has a plan for you. God chooses to use whomever he uses, however he chooses to use them, wherever he chooses to use them, whenever he chooses to use them, in whatever way he chooses to use them, all that so he gets the glory, amen? Never consider yourself too inadequate for the work of the Lord. You're never too far gone. Maybe God is calling you. I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure God is calling you to do something. I don't know what that something is, but he's calling you to do something today. So they go and they meet Samuel, and as, as you jump down the text, and they, they encounter, as we get to verse 15 of chapter 9, now the day before Saul met, came to town on this searching for donkeys, before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you to a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be a prince, that means leader, over my people of Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke to you, he it is who shall restrain my people. Our God is faithful, isn't he? The people of Israel had rejected God, but even in the midst of the rejection, God goes, I hear your cries. I see your struggle, and I will deliver you. Praise God that he is enduringly faithful even when we are not. Praise God. Whatever you're walking through today, the word see here, when it says, I have seen them, it means see affliction. Whatever the affliction is in your heart, the consternation, the struggle, God sees it. He knows it. And he loves you and he's at work for you right now in ways that you can't even imagine. When you cry to him, he hears you. This text teaches us that. And the, the whole cover-to-cover uh, -cover of God's word teaches us that reality. Praise God for his faithfulness. He's always at work. 
Now, obedience is evidence in everyday faithfulness, big and small. Now, Saul might not have been the most religious guy with the greatest relationship with the Lord, but he obeyed his dad, right? Dad's like, go find the donkey. Saul's like, okay. And he cared about his dad. You know, Saul, Saul is not all bad, but there's an internal struggle within Saul of good, bad. There are good days, bad days, and we're going to see next week about his fall, where today's about his rise. Next week is about his fall. And let it be an example to all of us about the reality the depravity of our own souls in the word, in the world that we live in. It's a fight for faithfulness. So when they come, Samuel gives him, when he, they meet, Samuel and Saul meet, and Samuel goes, hey, Saul, come with me. And he goes, I want you to hang out tonight. I want to throw a feast for you because tomorrow I got some big news for you. He doesn't tell him exactly what it is. But he's got some big news. Now, what's encouraging about this is that God works in ways that we can't even understand, right? God is using an exploration for donkeys to provide Israel's next king. There's never such thing as a wild donkey chase in the kingdom of God that God won't use. In the ways that don't make sense to you right now, in the ways and the things you're about to give up on right now, if Saul had turned back without continuing to follow the, the encouragement of his servant, listen to those around you right now, who knows what would have happened. So Samuel and Saul, Saul, Samuel goes, look, here's the deal. The donkeys are fine. <laughs> They've been found, but I got bigger and better news for you tomorrow. Look with me at verse 21. Here is Saul's response to this. He doesn't know what it is. He just knows Samuel's like, hey, God has a plan. And Saul answered that. Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Translation, you talking to me? Like, really? I'm from the smallest tribe. And the Benjamites, by the way, had a bad reputation. They were the bad boy Benjamites. They had a history of rape. They had a history of molestation. They had a history of really doing some heinous and horrible things and so whatever your background is, God can use you. Whatever your family of origin is, God can use you. But to say that Saul feels inadequate for whatever God has for him would be putting it lightly. Samuel, you got the wrong guy. Do you not know my history? Have you seen my resume? Don't you know where I come from? Samuel's like, I know exactly where you come from. This isn't about you. It's about God. The reality that God can and will use anyone and everyone for his purposes. The question is, will you be obedient? When we give God our availability, God gives us the ability. Friends, where are you feeling inadequate in your life? Maybe God is nudging on your heart to step up in a ministry responsibility area, and you know he's calling you to it. You just, uh-uh, not me. I could never. See, it's not about you. It's about God. God will strengthen you to do what he calls you to. God never calls you to a place he does not equip you. He does not prepare for you. He does not provide for you. Maybe it's at a workplace. Maybe it's a neighborhood thing. Maybe you're, God's leading you to, oh, reach out to your neighbor, start a Bible. I could never. I don't know enough. God's like, yeah, you do. I will give you the words. Where do you feel inadequate to be obedient that you have been putting on delay or frankly just being disobedient to because you feel like you're inadequate? Friends, it's not about you. 
In saying, God, you do, I can't do it, I won't, I, or I won't do it, you're telling God that he does not know what he is thinking or doing. God chooses those he chooses. And he will walk with you, and he will go with you, and he will go before you. Where have you been saying no to God that you need to say yes to God right now? Welcome to verse 27, chapter 9, and through the first uh, verse of chapter 10. They have this great meal the night before, and then morning, verse 27, chapter 9, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he's passed on, stop here for yourself, that I may make known to you the word of God. Okay, he's like, this is for your ears only right now, Samuel. And Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, his Saul, and kissed him. And, and he said, he has not the Lord anointed you to be prince, that means leader, over his people Israel, and you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of your surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you. And, God, and Samuel begins to lay out these signs that Saul will see to confirm the calling of the Lord. He anoints Saul as the next king, as the first king, earthly king of Israel. Now Saul still had this sense of inadequacy. He lacked confidence, and, but look at what God does. We with me down in verse 6 of chapter 10. Then the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, will rush upon you and he will prophesy with them, and you will prophesy with them. Prophesy means to proclaim the word of the Lord and be turned into another man. Wow! Now when these signs meet you, do, do what your hands find to do, for God is with you. Verse 8 is key. It will become even more key next week. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. More on that next week. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Praise God. And all these signs came to pass. Our God does what he says he's going to do, friends. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all those who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? God changes everything, doesn't he? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul among them? The prophets, when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And they said, to seek the donkeys. And when they were not able to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but what the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Sometimes God calls you, God's timing and God's calling aren't always lined up, right? It doesn't mean God's like, you're going to do this. It doesn't mean like today. Sometimes it means today. Sometimes it means get ready because it's coming a month from now, a week from now, a year from now, five years from now. Trust me. I've walked that walk. Never in a million years talked to me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what I thought of been a church planter, but God. But God. So how do we have confidence for our daily obedience? By God, two ways that we have confidence, two sources of my confidence for daily obedience. One is God's presence. Theme over and over in this passage and throughout the next couple chapters we're going to look at briefly today is this. God's presence equips you for your obedience. God's 
presence gives you confidence for your obedience. God's presence fuels you for obedience. We need to be walking in the presence of God. Now, frankly, we have a little bit of an advantage to those in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, came and went. Came and went. As New Testament believers, as believers in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, when we give our lives to the Lord, the, the New Testament teaches us the reality, Ephesians 1 and other places, that the Holy Spirit indwells us when we put our faith in the Lord so that the presence of God is inside of us for the rest of our days. Praise God. Amen. But just because the Holy Spirit indwells you doesn't mean he fills you and fuels you. You can have an empty tank. That's why scripture says over and over and over again, don't quench the Holy Spirit, submit to it, fuel it, be filled by it, follow his lead. We need to be acting in the presence of God. But verse six, right? Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy. And then it happened later. Verse 10, when the presence of God was present, the words of God flow. Jesus tells us in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say when we need them to say what God wants us to say. We don't have to worry about how eloquent we are or what our education is or what our background is. The presence of the Holy Spirit will equip us to obey God. If we submit and make ourselves available as vessels, God will give us the words. Praise God. Paul, uh, Saul here spoke words that he probably never even dreamed of. He began to prophesy. He proclaimed, proclaimed the word of God as he was filled with the presence of God. You and I can do the same exact thing. The same power that filled Saul is in us today. Praise God. Second thing that gives me confidence for my daily obedience is this, is God's power. Look with me at verse 9. God gave him another heart. God changes everything. You might be like, you have no idea who I was. That's the point. It's not about who you were. It's about who you are. That I was lost and now I'm found. That I was blind and now I see that God has transformed me through the power of the gospel and the blood of Jesus Christ to be a new vessel, to be an ambassador. Read 2 Corinthians 5. And he's commissioned me to go live out the ministry of reconciliation as his ambassador, as his mouthpiece, as he gives me the strength. We're not doing it in our own. You might be like, I can't do it. You're right, you can't. But in God, you absolutely can. You might not be able to because you're operating today in your own strength. God is our Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He is our sufficiency. Has your life been changed by God? Has God changed your heart? Because nothing will change until that changes. I'm not talking about have you been informed head knowledge by the gospel. You're getting that today if you haven't gotten it before. But have your heart been transformed? Only God can change hearts. You can't be so eloquent that you can change someone's heart. You can't be so persistent. You can't give enough money. You can't give enough time. Only God can. You've got to give him your heart. And then he gives you the power. And Saul was faithful. He proclaimed. He heralded. He prophesied the word of God. And people notice a difference. Do people notice a difference in you? What's the difference? God. I've been changed by God. Only God. Power of God fueled the obedience of God, and it fueled the ministry of God and the mission of God. Where in your life do you need to rely more on the power of God today? Where do you need to draw confidence from the reality that God sees your situation? He hears your cry. He is working to deliver you, but for a purpose 
and he will rise up others to lead you, to come alongside you. Where in your life are you looking to someone else to do what God has called you to do right now? In those areas where you feel inadequate, God is always adequate. Will you obey wholeheartedly? Where have you been delaying where you need to start stepping, stepping out in faith for the glory of God? God uses donkeys. He uses servants. He uses anything and everything to accomplish his purpose, and he wants to use you. Wholehearted obedience is always the right response to God's enduring faithfulness, amen? Second question today is, am I obeying God when I feel like hiding? Look with me, if you would, at verse 17 of chapter 10. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. He called all the nation of Israel, and he said, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you've rejected your God who saves you from all the calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and by thousands. Again, Samuel reminds them of their rejection and God's faithfulness. What is permissible for us is not always profitable for us. God allowed it, but it's going to hurt us. Where in your life are you reveling in what is permissible and finding out the hard way it's not exactly profitable? Because you're not pursuing God and prioritizing God overall. Now, Samuel has a roll call, a muster call. The whole point of this is to, to name Saul as king publicly. And he, he calls the Benjamites forth. They draw a lot. It's Saul. And they go, hey, where's Saul? And this funny thing happens. Verse 21, he brought out the tribe of Benjamin by, where this clans and the clan of the Matriots were taken by Lot. Saul, the son of Kish, he was taken by Lot. Basically, you're going to be the king. But when they sought him, he could not be found. You know where he was? Verse 22, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he is what? He has hidden himself amongst the baggage. Saul is literally hiding from the responsibility that God has called him to, anointed him in. He has had oil poured over him. He's had a kiss. Some of us are like, I just want a sign from God. Saul, Saul literally had like, boom, you're the guy. He had prophesied for the Lord, and now he's hiding from the Lord because he was scared to step up. He was scared of embracing obediently, and it was a daunting task. But he was hiding. And then they ran and they took him from there and then he stood among the people. Again, he was taller than any of the people, Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome, from his shoulders upwards. Verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the other people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. They were talking to the earthly king, by the way, not King Jesus, not, king, not God the king. And Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. This is what's going to happen. And he wrote them in a book and he laid it before the Lord. And Samuel said to all the people, he sent them all away. And Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. Verse 27, but some, and it went, with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Isn't it amazing when God touches hearts? Verse 27, but some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and they brought him no present, but he held his peace. Trust me, many of you are in leadership. There's always these people, right? That oppose you, that mock you, that doubt you, that criticize you. Whatever form of leadership in you, and there's always a handful to many of these in the crowd. Don't let them distract you from what God has called you to do. But friends, my question for you is, where are you like Saul? Where are you hiding? When God has called you, anointed you, empowered you, but you're like, I'm nowhere to be found. 
Now, you might not be hiding in luggage, but you might start ghosting people. Stop responding to emails, stop showing up at church because in your heart, you're like, if I show up, I'm going to need to serve or God wants me to do this. I don't really want to. I'm too big. I got to go wash my hair, man, for the 10th time this week, even though I have no hair left. I start drifting because I'm running. I'm running from the call of God in my life. I'm being disobedient because I'm scared or I'm worried or I'm troubled. It was hard for Saul to hide because he was taller than anybody else. I can tell you countless opposite stories of opposition in planting this church. I can tell you every single time God's greater. There are many excuses that we all have for hiding. Maybe it's fear, and some of them are legitimate. I don't really have the energy to face another opposition. I'm tired. And the different people have different seasons for different things. But it's about being obedient to what God is calling you in this season and being open to whatever he has. Wholehearted means my life is on the table. My money's on the table. My time, I'm willing to reorient anything, reallocate anything, reprioritize anything. I'm willing to get over myself so I can give it all to God. Maybe I feel unprepared. I guarantee you Saul felt that way. Unready. Many logic. These people won't follow me. Again, it's the heart of the issue is it's not about you, is it? It's about making ourselves a vessel for God to do something that people go, I never thought God could use them. And you're like, I didn't either. But this is only attributable now to God because only God could do this. But we need to get out of the way. And more than getting out of the way, we need to open our hearts and open our lives. God is all about using the ordinary to do his extraordinary. You will never regret stepping out in faithful obedience. Lives change. Your life changes. Sanctification comes as you step out in obedience and following the Lord and using the giftedness that God has given you to build his kingdom. Today's a role that you know in your hearts that God is calling you to fill, but you've been hiding and running from. Where do you need to step up? Maybe God's been nudging you to serve in kids' ministry, student ministry, worship team, production team. Maybe he's been calling you to give and you've been putting off tithing consistently. Maybe he's calling you to go on a mission trip serve as an usher or greeter. Maybe he's calling you to start a Bible study in the neighborhood. Maybe he's calling you to share the gospel with your name. Maybe he's calling you to make a call and ask for forgiveness for someone that you hurt. Maybe he's calling you to do X, Y, or Z. I don't know, but through the power of God and for the glory of God, will you trust the presence of God to step out in faith for God and embrace obedience to the one true God? Even when I feel like hiding. We all have those days when we feel like just pulling the covers over our head, don't we? And don't get out of bed. That's all. The key to wholehearted obedience is open hands and open heart. Get to the end of yourself, and then you can only, only when you get to the end of yourself can you fully experience God. Wholehearted obedience is always the right response to God's enduring faithfulness. Am I wholeheartedly obeying God, third aspect, when I face adversity? I don't know what adversity you're facing, but I can pretty much guarantee you're facing adversity this morning because adversity is as much daily life as breathing is in a lot of ways, isn't it? We don't go through a day without facing adversity. Some big, some small. You blow a tire out on the way to work. The kid wakes up sick and ruins all your plans. You get a text that you weren't expecting. The doctor gives you bad news. Fill in the blank, whatever it is, relational struggle. You had another blowout fight with a spouse or a friend last night. 
Every day is a day to improvise, adapt, and overcome. However, the adversity we face is never an ever, ever adequate justification for not choosing to live in faithful obedience to God. Although we often try to make it that way, right? I was going to follow God, but the other person cut me off and then I cussed them out. But it's their fault. If they wouldn't have cussed me out, I wouldn't have, if they wouldn't have cut me off, I wouldn't have cussed them out. No. You made a choice. My spouse did this, so I respond. No, you may, again, you made a choice. It's not about what happens to you, it's how you respond to it. Reactive and proactive obedience. Chapter 11 is a story of how Saul chose obedience in the face of great adversity and rallied others to do the same. You can read it word for word at your own, but what happens here is that an Ammonite threatens to attack a portion of Israel, and he has them by the stranglehold. He has military advantage, and, he go, and the people of Israel in this town called Jabesh, they go, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. Again, they're trying to do it themselves. And the, guy, the Ammonite king goes, okay, here's my terms. I'm going to come. I'm going to gouge out the right eye of every single person here because that's disgraceful. And then you will serve me. And the Ammonites go, okay, give me seven days to see if anyone, uh, the, the Israelites go, give me seven days to see if anyone will come and try to rally to my defense and save me. And if not, then we will surrender. You can disgrace us and we will enslave ourselves to you. They put out the all call, and behold, verse 5, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And when Saul said, what is wrong? Messengers came with the people. Why are they weeping? They're facing adversity. They have insurmountable, what seems like an insurmountable obstacle facing them. They told him the news. And verse 6, look at what happens again. And the Spirit of God, right? The presence of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And this is righteous anger. You know how I know it's righteous? Because it came after the presence of God. Saul wasn't operating on his own. He was very upset that people were attacking the people of God. And so upset that, verse 7, he took his yoke of oxen, he cut them into pieces, and he sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When they mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah were 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh that they were glad, therefore the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will give ourselves to you. They laid a trap, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. But the, then the next day, Saul put the people in three companies. And they came in the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Awesome. The Old Testament is really cool, isn't it? Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, no, 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 no. Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation. And then Samuel said to the Lord, come let us gather and go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and they made Saul the king before the Lord. In Gilgal, and there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Saul chose obedience in the face of great adversity. Will you do the same? Again, a huge point is Saul's actions came after being filled with the presence of God. Often we get that order reversed. We take action and go, God bless this, because we're out in front of God, right? Our anger, our unrighteous anger fills us and it fuels us. And we take actions that God doesn't want us to take. We type things that God doesn't want us to type. We use words that God doesn't want us to use. 
Sometimes God calls us to stand up to adversity and we cower in fear when we know what he's calling us to do. Friends, we must ensure our response to adversity is one, from God, two, for God, and three, a testimony about God. All of this is for God to give glory. But look at the power of what happens. There was a divided kingdom. They weren't so sure about whether they wanted Saul to be the king. We already saw that some people were opposing him. But now the adversity comes, and in the middle of adversity, unity happens. Adversity does a funny thing. It either divides you or unites you. And 330,000 people came together. Look with me at verse 7. As one man. Isn't that awesome? Now, as you wave under the glory of, as you fight for the glory of God, as you operate under the word of God, as you work in the presence of God, what divides us goes away. And what unifies us, God, Jesus Christ, the gospel, outweighs everything else. Biblical unity is a diversity of people anchoring in the sovereignty and the preeminency of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean we're all going to think the same about a lot of different things, but it means that we think the exact same thing about the main thing. Here at Harvest, I love that we are diverse. We're diverse in country of origin, in skin tone, in languages that we originally speak, in states that we come from. Some of y'all think the Southern dialect is a language in and of itself down south, right? We're diverse in how we vote. We're diverse in uh, candidates that we support. But we must remember the reality that before we are a Republican, before we're a Democrat, before we're Green Party, Tea Party, Independent, you name it, we are children of the Most High God and disciples of Jesus Christ. And that must drive and inform everything that we do. So the question I have is how you are acting, is it biblically motivated at its base? Or is it politically motivated? Financially motivated? Earthly relationally motivated? Is the core of the action you are going to take when you face it, because adversity brings out what's already inside of you. Is it anchored cover to cover and the whole counsel of God's word, not just what you do, but how you do it. Not just the words you say, but the tones that you use. The attitude of your heart in communicating with the other people that disagree with you, maybe, politically, or whatever. Biblical obedience breeds unity in the middle of diversity, because it keeps God the main thing. So what are some principles of biblical obedience we see from this text? We see from the response right here. The first is this, get filled. You want to obey God? Get filled with God. This, verse six, the spirit of God rushed upon Saul. How do I know if I'm being obedient? Get filled with God's word, then you'll know, right? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get filled with biblical community. When you drift and you're on your own, there is a much higher likelihood you will be living in disobedience without accountability, without biblical community, without encouragement. I need people and I have people in my life, praise God, that call me out when I'm being stupid. Because I do that more often than I want to admit. But I need to be filled with God, God's word, God's people. And then that leads me to being filled with God's heart. What are you filled with today? Get help. You can't fight this fight alone. 
You can't face adverse. Satan wants you to believe the lie that you can fight this fight on your own. You can't. In this text, Saul rallied people and they showed up. 330,000 strong. Now he used an interesting motivating tactic. He cut up an oxen and said, hey, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't come on. And they're like, okay. Now I don't need to send oxen to your house, but I want to ask you to turn on the TV, to open social media, to walk out your front door and get real life vivid examples of what happens if we don't get in the fight. Biblically. Yes, there is fear. Yes, there is opposition. Yes, we're going to pay a price. Yes, we're going to get battle wounds. We might even give our lives. But you'll give a whole lot more if you stay on the sidelines. God is calling us to get in the fight. That's the third thing. Because the reality, when we get help, it's not just horizontal. It's vertical. Because look at me at verse 12 or 13. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. Why? For the Lord has worked salvation. God is on our side, amen? Get help vertically. Get help from God. God, I'm facing adversity. I need you. And then get help horizontally. Rally 330,000 people. This church is with you. Nobody walks alone. That's why you need to be in a small group. It's not a nice to have. It's a need to have. Discipling relationships. You need to be in church. It needs to be a priority. And not just to be, but to be intentional about building relationships. And then you need to get in the fight. Because these guys actually got in the fight. They went to the camp, they drew their swords, and they got after it. Biblical obedience is powered by prayer with the reality that worship is our weapon and scripture is our sword. And we need to start swinging it. What happened this week broke me. I have four kids, 14 and a half, 11, nine, six and a half. My wife has been a teacher for many of her years. So many of you, we were in small group and we have a counselor in her, and on Tuesday night we were in small group and she's like, my office is gonna be filled with kids tomorrow. How do we respond? What do we do? We obey. What does that mean? It might mean something different for everybody. But my question is, we go to the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? And then we do it. Whatever it is, whatever the cost, what do you mean? Well, here's a couple of examples of what it looks like. Look with me at Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. The Lord requires this of us, brothers and sisters. Not optional. Now, what does it mean to do justice? That means a verb. That means get off the sidelines and get into the game. That means to embrace the mess. Biblical manhood and womanhood is not lived out on Twitter. It's lived out in the turmoil and the mess of everyday lives, loving people who society rejects, who struggle with mental illnesses, caring for people, offering offering empathy and practical help. Now, when we pray, and I want to encourage you to pray, we might, Holy Spirit, lead me into what justice looks like for me, what you want me to do, and then do it. We might come to different conclusions on different sides of the aisle of what justice looks like. That's okay. But the bigger question is, is it biblically motivated? Am I going to the Lord, anchoring in the Lord, and then living it out? And then doing that humbly, right? The text, Micah 6, 8. Humbly with God and with others. Are you doing that? Am I loving kindness? That word kindness is just said. It means mercy, compassion, empathy. 
I am no longer financially motivated, power motivated, positionally motivated. I am gospel motivated. Whatever the earthly price is, it's worth it. Biblical obedience is doing the harder, godly, right thing all the time instead of the easier, wrong thing. James 1.27, religion that is God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Heart check, where in your life have you been polluted by the world? Where in your life where you should have been where you need to be powered by the God, by God and God's word have you been polluted by the world? Where is the pollution of the world impacting your actions, your thoughts, your life? We need to respect people with different points of view than us, remembering that God is sovereign over all of us. Friends, where do you need to apply these biblical principles of obedience to the adversity that you're facing today and every day? It all goes back to God's word. Is this driving your actions? Is this the source of your truth? Tune out the noise, get into the word, and then live it out in the world. Powered by God for the glory of God. Biblical obedience means that the gospel overflows into everyday, it's a gospel-informed living. The gospel informs our policies. The gospel informs our morality. The gospel informs our choices. The gospel informs our spending. The gospel informs our advocacy. The gospel informs dot, dot, dot. Where is the Holy, get filled with the Holy Spirit, get filled with the word, ask him what he wants you to do, and then do it with love, grace, truth, compassion, empathy, gentleness, pursuing God's righteousness for the glory of God, knowing that you're not alone. We got your back. We got your side, and God is watching over you. Wholehearted obedience is always the right response to God's enduring faith. Fourth and finally, quickly, am I obeying God wholeheartedly when I face my failures? This is such a beautiful Verse chapter 12 is a beautiful passage. Samuel gives a farewell address. We're going to continue to see Samuel, but this is his last final farewell speech to the nation of Israel as a prophet because they're transitioning to a monarchy. The first several verses is Samuel telling people, informing them about how he has lived his life as he has sought to follow the Lord. You get down with me, if you would, to verses 12. And Samuel says this, and when you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, which just happened, came against you, and you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, going back to where we started at the beginning of this message, obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Am I wholeheartedly obeying God when I face my failures? Now, therefore, stand and still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. God is faithful. Even in my failure, God is faithful. And it says, verse 17, I will call upon the Lord and he may send thunder and rain for the wheat harvest and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great. Your failure is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourselves a king. 
I don't know what you've asked God for recently that is a failure, but I have a feeling we all got a list. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we might not die, for we have added to our sins. They admit, they see their failure, this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, look at this, the heart of our God, do not be afraid that you have done all this evil. Let's own the reality that we've done evil yet, but God, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. It's not too late, he says, then and not too late now to serve the Lord, not just with some of your heart, but with all of your heart. And verse 21, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are what? They're empty. Where are you pursuing the emptiness of this world? Through your disobedience, that it will not go well for you. Some of us in this room, it's not going well because you've turned after empty things. You need to repent. God is faithful to forgive. Verse 22, well, I... I would encourage you to memorize verse 20 through 22. This is the heart of God. For the Lord will not forsake his people, amen? For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. You were adversaries to the Lord, nation of Israel, but God wants to adopt you. He wants to take you in as his son, as his daughter, to save you. And he knows that there's no other way to save you but through the blood of Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sins that you can't pay. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Friends, maybe there are people in your life that have been walking from the Lord. You're tired of praying for them. Samuel's like, come on, keep praying because God's working. God's not done yet. I will not cease praying. Only fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your what? Heart. All your heart serve him faithfully. Wholehearted obedience is always the right response to God's enduring faithfulness. It's right here vividly in the text. God is enduringly faithful. What is our response? To obey him wholeheartedly, to serve him faithfully. No matter the obstacle or the situation, but if you still do wickedly, again, choose your own adventure, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Ouch. Choose this day whom you will serve, friends. God is faithful. He wants to adopt you and save you. That only comes through Jesus. Don't compound your past mistakes or your present failures by continuing to live disobediently. Choose today to repent and turn and walk into the loving arms of our Savior who paid the price for you. What's our response to God's enduring faithfulness? Verse 20, don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Verse 21, don't turn away from him. Do, turn, do not turn after, aside after empty things. Where have you done that? That can't profit. Fear the Lord, revere him, serve him. No excuses. Choose your, choose your own adventure, deliverance or destruction today. What's your choice? What's your choice? Today, I want to encourage you to remember the greatness of our God and the faithfulness of our God. Amen. We've all failed. Every single one. I have failed. I have fallen short. I have sinned. I sin on a daily basis. Hopefully it's less and less as I pursue the Lord and grow in God through his strength. But God's, my sin doesn't have to define me. My failure doesn't have to define me. I praise God that I pray that my faith defines me. 
Obedience today is confessing, committing, and then changing. Would you close your eyes with me? As Amy continues to pray. Even in our failure, God, for the sake of his great name, came and he loved. Came and he sacrificed. So I want to ask you this, and I'm a little bit of time personally to respond. Where today are you allowing your failure to define you? That you need to ask God today to allow his faithfulness to define you. As you respond in obedience with repentance, confession, asking God to change you, to cover you, and then to fuel you. Where do you need to put your faith in Jesus today? A situation or maybe just maybe for the first time ever as your savior? What empty things in your life do you need to turn away from that you've been pursuing? And turn back to serving God wholeheartedly? What part of your life do you need to give to God today? In what way is God calling you and asking you to faithfully step out wholeheartedly, serve him and follow him? In response to his faithfulness for Maybe God's asking you to give, your, give him your life today authentically for the first time. Just ask him, say, God, I, I, wanna, I want you. Forgive me for my sins. I choose to follow you today. That's it. That's all you got to do. We'll love to pray with you after the service. Maybe God is asking you to recommit, to return. Maybe God's asking you to step up and to step out in faithful obedience, trusting him with the consequences of your choices that we have an eternal point of view and focus on that earth. So just take these next 30 seconds or so before the Lord and ask him what he wants you to do and respond to him and then I'll close us in prayer. God, in this moment, we're all making choices. We're all choosing to obey we're all not, or we're choosing to disobey. Frankly, there's no other decision to be made. God, help us to choose to follow with hearts of reverence and faithfulness. God, thank you that our failure is not the end for us. But today, allow our failure to be a, the start of a new beginning for us as we lay it at your feet and ask you to cover it and ask you to change us. You change the heart of Saul. I pray that you would ask, I ask that you would change each and every heart in this room today to grow in you and to go for you. Maybe some hearts need to be regenerated for the first time before you as they choose you. Maybe some hearts need to be encouraged to step up and to step out. Maybe some hearts need to be encouraged to obey and to get in the fight, to live biblically when we've been motivated by other things previously. Give us the strength, God, to serve you wherever it leads knowing that your presence is enough, that your power is enough, that you are sufficient in our fight for faithfulness. Help us to be faithful. 
from a heart of reverence that responds in worship to your loving kindness of us and lives out daily obedience, desiring you above all else. In your mighty name that we pray. Amen.